Hi everyone and welcome to Eat, Read, Stream, Repeat. I'm Sarah. And uh, I'm Chloe. And today we're going to be having an incredibly spoiler-filled discussion about the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Avengers Infinity War. But before we do that, it's time for Eating, Reading, Streaming, where we talk about the books, film and TV that we've been consuming lately. So Chloe, what's been on your radar? So while I was away on holiday, I watched The Alienist, which is now on Netflix. So we flagged that up at the beginning of the year as something that I was super looking forward to. And I was correct. Okay. Because <laughs> it's exactly my kind of thing. So it's based on the novel by Caleb Carr, um, starring Daniel Brühl as um, an alienist, they're sort of like a, a psychiatrist is what they used to kind of call them it's set in new york in 1900 ish i don't remember the exact dates uh, and it's a series of kind of gruesome grisly murders and are happening there's a young girl who works for the police and he is sort of asking for her help so it's kind of the start of that kind of criminal mind psychiatric kind of like murders like thinking okay. about murders as kind of part of a mental health kind of thing and why people do what they do so it's kind of that time when science was starting to think about the brain as a fascinating um show yeah so it's about him as a psychiatrist there's a journalist who is the guy who's sort of sketching all the murder scenes and uh, the young girl who works with the police and they kind of do a bit of investigative police work and journalism and nice. solve murders. It's pretty grisly. It doesn't shy away from much. Uh, really atmospheric. I watched it all. I really enjoyed it. It's on my list. I added it to my Netflix list, but I haven't got around to it yet. Yeah. And the book I've been reading that I absolutely loved is called Cod <laughs> by Mark Kalansky. And it is, in fact, the history of Cod doesn't that doesn't lie about what it is it's exactly what it says on the tin and it's but it's fascinating because it's you know the history of trade is the history of kind of human endeavor and is a lot about the discovery of america uh, the american civil war canadian kind of american border their relationship with europe and everything else and it's all to do with trade and things and cod formed a huge part of it i've just got to the bit where um fisheries are starting to decline and they put the moratorium on in like the latter part of the 20th century and it's all very upsetting because you know we destroyed our own environment <laughs> we suck so i've read a great book called the map of salt and stars by jennifer zainab Juhadar, i think is how it's pronounced so it's like a dual narrative so in the present day a young girl her two older sisters and her mum move back to syria after the death of, of the girl's dad and um, her dad used to tell her this story of a young girl who ran away from home and disguised herself as a boy to become a, an apprentice to a map maker. So she starts telling you that story. And then obviously, so in the present day, war breaks out in Syria. And so this girl and her family have to basically try and make their way to safety. So they go to Jordan and Egypt and, and across to try and find refuge. And their journey mirrors that of this map maker's assistant in kind of the 1100s it's just a beautiful story about like finding home and journeys but I particularly loved the historical element because it's like they're exploring new worlds and new lands and places they've never seen before and it's just gorgeously done so I would really recommend that and then in tv I binged the second season of Dear White People which has just appeared Still on Netflix yeah so I really I liked the first season but I found it hard going at times partially because I watched the film quite close to watching mm. the first series and some of the some of the film's cast is in the tv series playing the same characters okay. but some of them aren't so obviously like Tessa Thompson was in the film mm. as the protagonist but she's not in the tv show in the first series 
And so I found it a little bit difficult to separate the film from the yeah. TV show because what happens in the TV show sort of starts at the beginning again and touches some of the same plot points as the film. But I did like it. But the second series I really, really enjoyed. And there's a, a character called Joelle who is just amazing. So the, the structure is that there's an overarching narrative, but then each episode focuses on a different character and she gets an episode of her own in series two and she is just amazing and wonderful and brilliant and there's also a character called Coco whose episode is a little bit heartbreaking and kind of just very well done so I would recommend that to anyone who hasn't seen it just don't watch the film and then start the tv series the next day because then you'll be like oh haven't I already seen this or what why is this different so yeah so Let's talk about the main thing we're going to talk about in our podcast, which might, noises of distress. which might result in some tears, maybe some yelling, but we'll try and be like, we'll try and be quite good. So we're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War. As Chloe said at the beginning, there will be loads of spoilers ahead. We're going to, we're going to talk in detail about some of the plot points. Just... To start with, very, very briefly, I would say that we have quite different views in the, on the film. Overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't hate it. <laughs> I, I mean, that's not what you said when you came out of the cinema. Like, I think what I said when I came out of the cinema <laughs> was uh, Infinity War can suck my dick. It did not convince me. In its, like, I thought that beginning, I hated, and it threw me out of the film immediately. It took a long time for it to okay, bring me back so over. Okay, so we'll come to that yeah. in a second. I think, first of all, if we talk about the basic plot so the villain of the piece is Thanos he is a giant purple guy basically his planet Titan was destroyed and he tried to warn about its impending destruction because he was like it's overpopulated there aren't enough resources it's going to be really bad and no one listened to him and then the planet got destroyed so he is now on a what he thinks is a philanthropic mission to collect six infinity stones which once he places in a giant gold glove with that he will be able to click his fingers and kill half the universe's population so not just like the population of earth but the population of all the planets in the marvel universe and the thing is he's not like it's not just that he's on a version of the infinity stones every time he goes to a new planet he murders half the population he is a genocidal mass murdering fuckhead and i detest him (laughs) um and then obviously out to try and stop him is almost every single person you have ever met in the previous 18 films in the Marvel Universe. Like, nearly all the superheroes and probably some of the extras are the same as well. I would imagine so. (laughs) Um, So, that's the film. I saw it on my own on the day of release. I was quite tense throughout. So, I I think we've mentioned this before. I basically... Steve Rogers is gonna die at some point. So I felt the entire I was like quite tense for the entire film, <laughs> waiting for this moment where Steve is gonna sacrifice himself and die. And that doesn't happen in this film. And like we can yeah. talk yeah, later yeah. as to kind of why and perhaps when it might or when something similar might. But um so I was quite tense. My cinema was quite quiet. There were lots of people there, but like mm. And there were laughs at the right moments. But then at the end, like, there was just silence. And through the whole credits, I've never heard a cinema, like, 
so quiet and everyone was just sitting there going what the heck just happened and then there was the end credit scene and then I've seen it again since then and I still enjoyed it but it did cement which bits I would fast forward if I was watching it at home on DVD. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this was my so I saw it about a week later because I was away. So I saw it on my way back from the airport. I literally went like <laughs> dedication. Like, no, there's no messing around it. So, I mean, like I said, the beginning I hated so much that within about uh, within about a minute of the film opening, I leant over to Hannah, who I was with, and I don't talk during films normally. I'm really, like, code compliant. Um, Hello to Jason Isaac. But I did lean over to Hannah and just went, I hate this film. (laughs) Because I just, I thought the opening was so... So do you want to talk about what the opening is? Okay, Where are we in the opening? So the opening of the film follows directly from the events of Thor Ragnarok. Now, uh, I'd just like to remind everyone that Thor Ragnarok is, it's not my favourite Marvel film, but it, I mean, it is making a play for the top spot. And the fact that Winter Soldier is only as good as it is, is mm. stopping Ragnarok from being up there. Because I love Taika Waititi's movies. I kind of knew that I was going to have fun with it, but actually I loved it way more than I thought I was going to. And I've seen it multiple, multiple times. And I just thought it was really fresh and interesting and kind of a different thing for the MCU. And I would have been happy if they'd continued that tone forever. But what they do in the beginning of uh, Infinity War is they immediately shit all over the plot of Ragnarok. So basically, spoilers here, at the end of Thor Ragnarok, they're, um, Thor, Loki, and all of the Asgardians who are still alive have fled from their planet, which has been destroyed. And in the end credit sequence of that film, you see the ship kind of like suddenly they're kind of coming through space. They're going back to Earth. Uh, Loki and Thor have worked out, worked through quite a lot of their familial issues and they're joking about it not being a great idea for Loki to come back to Earth and then suddenly this giant ship rises out of the blackness and you're like, oh, it's Thanos, oh my god. So we kind of knew that that's how this film was going to start for Thor's storyline, but how it starts is actually that literally everyone on the ship is dead. <laughs> so Thor is still alive, Loki is still alive, Heimdall is still alive and Heimdall is murdered pretty savagely right there and then and then as is Loki. So... The thing about Loki is I'm not like the massivist stand for him. Like some people, he is their absolute favourite character in the entire universe. Mm. That's fine. But I think he's really interesting and he's a great protagonist. And I thought it was kind of a real waste because it's like you spent a whole film playing his and Thor's relationship to kind of a point where like they're moving forward together and like Thor's got to a really good place with it. Mm. And suddenly it's like, oh no, we're actually going to rip all that away and like make that entire film feel somewhat irrelevant. (sighs) And also there's this whole thing where they like explained it away later that like Valkyrie isn't dead and the reason she doesn't appear is because she's taken another ship and disappeared off and it's like well the ending of Thor they're all together on the ship and everything else then in the end credit sequence which kind of feels like it's very close like it's you know it doesn't feel like they've been in space for weeks and then they're having the end credit sequence it feels like it's directly following from the end shots of the film but oh Valkyrie's managed to take a ship and half the people and disappeared but Thanos's massive ship is right there so it just feels such a clunky explanation to be mm. like hand wave away like okay. oh they're not dead they've left so uh, I, I haven't seen Ragnarok but I've seen like loads of clips for Ragnarok the only thing I would say is like you mentioned it's so different from the rest of the MCU like that I don't think they could ever keep that tone going it's and, not like, like it's not necessarily even about the tone it's about the fact that like you've done a whole film about mm. this where these the like the Asgard was in danger and these people were in danger of being wiped out completely and like the denouement of the film is they escape with their lives and the fact that their planet has gone doesn't matter because 
it's not a place, it's a people, is like the whole thing. Mm. And then suddenly we're opening the next film with them all being wiped out anyway. I felt so grotty watching that that mm. I was like, it took the film a good hour to like recover okay. from that sourness for me. I liked the opening scene. I thought the Loki thing was really interesting. Tom Hiddleston, bless him. They made him do so much publicity and then yeah. he dies within the first five minutes of the film. But I thought his death was really interesting, especially when placed in the context of like, he and Thor for so long have kind of not been on the same wavelength and I thought it was such a low-key kind of way to die, like sort of And it would have been a lot more powerful to me had they not, like, the thing is it kind of disappeared into this background of like, oh, you've just wiped out an entire people that Mm. I've just spent a whole film rooting for. So I don't know, it just felt like... I think it just, it, it, just felt, yeah. it just felt sour and I didn't... Okay, I, so I think it yeah. felt like a gut punch. Like, you're supposed to be, like, this guy. Like, it was the best way to set up Thanos because you've seen him, like, before mm. and you know how evil he is. But, like, this was something else because his whole thing is that he wants to kill half half the population. So, really, half of Asgard are dead already because they didn't survive to get on the ship. But he is now willingly killing the other half that are remaining. And I think it was just a, a really good way to signal how terrible his methods and his thought processes are. And it is incredibly sad. But when you're saying that, actually, I just had a moment where you're thinking, oh, maybe if his whole thing is I'm only killing half of you, maybe he packs half of them off into a ship and sends them away. I mean, I don't know. I think I think Still. we're probably giving too much credit on the planning on like the film there like, that's what bugs me like oh yeah we have to they hand wave shit away and then we're like but, oh we have to give them credit yeah. for like pretending they knew what they were doing and that but no but there crazy. is a lot it would be different if there was no line and i know it's clunky but there is that line where thor says half my planet like half half my people are gone and that does occur in the film i think if afterwards they'd been like oh but you know half his people are fine he just doesn't bother to mention them i think that would be different it's, yeah. it's clunkily done but it is it is done. Heimdall, you mentioned, so he dies in a kind of blaze of glory, I guess. So he summons up his last bit of energy to bring back basically the, the rainbow yeah. bridge and he spirits the Hulk back to Earth. Back yeah. to Earth. I don't, also, I don't get why he didn't yeah, no, me, Loki me, and no. Thor away me as neither. well. I didn't. Like, on second viewing, I, it kind of occurred to me on first viewing, but on second viewing, I was like, dude, like, why didn't you just... Because it's not like the Rainbow Bridge appeared where the Hulk was. Like, Hulk was drawn into the Rainbow yeah. Bridge and then spirited away. And I was like, could you not have done that? Or Thanos and his yeah. two guys poof, <laughs> off into space and give you some time to regroup, check for survivors and yeah. like, get out of there. So then so I then I, I thought... So I thought the beginning was strong. Closely didn't. And then I thought it lagged a bit from there. Because basically you just get a lot of the my not-so-favourite characters in the MCU. So obviously... Heimdall has spirited the Hulk back to Earth and what you see is you get like a a scene, a quippy little scene at Doctor Strange's house and suddenly down comes Bruce Banner, crashes through the floor and is like Thanos is coming and lol Benedict Cumberbatch is like who and then you cut to a quippy little scene between Iron Man and Pepper Potts and then Doctor Strange appears to them and then you've got kind of a lot of exposition and a big fight scene 
two goatees warring against each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind I'm, of a bit a, like a, a lot of people in this film have goatees, and loads. no one in real life ever has a goatee. Loads so of people have goatees. Why are there so many? It's... Doesn't Sam Wilson have a bit of a goatee in or this they, film? It, I mean, there yeah. are so many. So I just like there is a piece we will we will tweet the link. But a vulture writer did a piece ranking the beards of the ranking the facial hair of the. Which is what we're all here for, really. <laughs> men <laughs> in the film. There was the right winner was chosen, I believe. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so then then there's like a is kind of you know two egos battling against each other, Doctor Strange and Iron Man, and that is basically the rest of their storyline throughout the film. Wherever they go, it is about these two kind of alpha males, and that it doesn't really interest me because I just yeah I'm just not into that but there's a big fight scene with the children of Thanos and Iron Man and the... what saves that in- their entire segment of the thing is Spider-Man yes yeah. who is who is just a delight yeah like constant delight when I left the cinema there was these two tweedy girls in the toilets afterwards like crying about Tom Holland just when I want to just went yeah. he's just so beautiful and I was like that is so relatable what we'll do is we'll talk through like each strand so basically the Iron Man strand involves Iron Man Doctor Strange Bruce Banner Mm Spider-Man for the for the large part and then they're joined by some other people in the end so there you get basically Hulk doesn't go to space with them no Hulk doesn't go to space with them because he stays behind to call Steve Rogers. One thing I did love is that, so basically when Bruce is like, call Steve, and Tony's like, oh, you've been away a long time, me and Steve aren't talking to each other. Hulk's basically like, get over it. And then Iron Man has been carrying the flip phone that Steve sent him. What made me laugh around was when he says, him. when he's like, he's like, the Avengers broke up and he's like, what a band, like a band? Like <laughs> the Beatles? And I was like, does that make Bucky Yoko Ono? <laughs> And I contemplated that for a good 10 minutes and then I was like, this is a board of the film I have. It's like I'm just thinking about like a Beatles AU. <laughs> um, so Spider-Man, Iron Man and Doctor Strange who has got the time stone, stone yeah. all make their way in various ways onto one of the children of Thanos' ships. Yeah. And find themselves in space back to Titan. Also, I never really got why right at the beginning when they're on the ship and eventually they rescue Doctor Strange because he's got like the one of the evil children of Thanos uh, kind of pointing needles at him and Iron Man and Spider-Man managed to kill him. I don't get why at that moment it was like, should we fly this ship? Why didn't Doctor Strange just be like, let me move my hands, do a circle thing and we'll get back to Earth. Like, I don't get it. Well, because then Tony argued that they shouldn't go back to Earth. It wasn't that they couldn't move the ship, it was that Tony argued them round to like... I mean, he didn't argue very well. Like, (laughs) I don't don't think... Um, Spider-Man wasn't meant to be on the ship because Tony told him to go home. (laughs) Peter did get knighted into the Avengers though, which was was super charming. That was was... charming. There were all these kind of character touch moments that Mm. I just adored. think that's what the film did do well is that as bitty as the film is i would expect it to be bitty because it's bringing together so many things yeah but the amount of characters and the amount of they really places that they had to kind of visit actually i thought it hung together like Mm. as an like actually shockingly well i was like oh actually i thought it was going to be so bloated and like overloaded it doesn't feel bloated um on second view there was there were things i could have done without but i still it still doesn't (laughs) it still doesn't feel really clunky so then so they're basically making their way to titan on a ship and 
their storyline coincides with half of Guardians of the Galaxy. So Guardians sort of put get a distress signal. And they're kind of like going to help the singing songs in space as they do. Groot is being like sassy. And then, Groot spends the entire film playing video games, and then, but then comes to the rescue. And then, like, Thor smacks into their windshield, and they bring him inside and have the entire exchange about how he is, um, like, a pirate, pirate angel. angel. And they're all, like, very taken with his immense beauty. And then their sort of storyline then diverges into two sections, because yes. Thor has got his own... Yeah, we'll talk about that <clears throat> yes. later. Yeah, so Thor's got his own idea about whether she's going... And Gamora has got knowledge, obviously, of Thanos as his daughter, but also um, knowledge about Infinity Stones and their whereabouts. And she has a different idea about where they should go. Mm. So they divide into two. And Thor, Rocket and Groot go off in one direction and the rest of the Guardians uh, go to Titan, where they have been summoned by... No, they don't go to Titan. They go to nowhere. They go to nowhere first. They go to nowhere where... Is it Benicio Del Toro's character? The Collector has one of the Infinity Stones. Who is the brother of Jeff Goldblum character in Thor Ragnarok. I did not know that. Okay, so they go to nowhere and Gamora on the way to nowhere, and this is something I do want to talk about a bit later, but I want to also talk about it in relation to Steve and Vision. But Gamora is basically like, look, if something happens, what you need to do is you need to kill me because she knows where the sixth Infinity Stone is, which the Soul Stone, which no one else knows where that is. She discovered it and kept its whereabouts from Thanos. So she's basically like, kill me. So they go to nowhere they discover that Thanos is there Gamora kills in quotes Thanos but it turns out it's all an illusion because he's already got one of the infinity stones the reality the reality stone which enables him to kind of present different versions of reality and he basically wanted to see what would happen and he's really happy because after killing him Gamora cries and he sees that as a sign of like how much Gamora loves him because Thanos is evil but then he's also got this weird thing where he like loves Gamora like a daughter and she means the most to him out of anything in the world. <laughs> and so then Thanos leaves with Gamora, leaving Mantis, Drax, and Peter Quill. Peter Quill to basically they land on the sh- do they land on the ship or do they land on Titan? They go to Titan because um, they've been summoned there by yeah. Nebula. Uh, where they encounter Iron Man, Doctor Strange, and Spider Man. Yeah. So uh, the Nebula moment actually is predicated on the fact that after Thanos takes Gamora, they return to his base of operations <laughs> where he is torturing Nebula, and he uh, uses her to torture the location of the Soul Stone out of Gamora. So Thanos and Gamora go off looking for that, and Nebula um, manages to escape and sends a message out for the Guardians to meet her on Titan. Mm. she um, has got some insights into Thanos' plan. Yeah. So that's why one set of people are converging on Titan. Thanos yeah. is off doing his bullshit thing. So the people that converge on Titan, so added to Doctor Strange and Iron Man was your third ego, Star-Lord. So that becomes like, for me, I was just a bit like, okay, yeah, this is fun, but also it grated a bit after a while to have these like three men just bantering with each other and trying to one-up each other all the time and trying to be the coolest of the bunch. That long. I yeah, I I just didn't really enjoy it and I didn't I like I like the first Guardians of the Galaxy and I haven't seen the second. I just felt in this film, apart from Gamora, most of the Guardians were around to provide comic relief and it just with like Drax kind of it just great I could have Drax done with is, less Drax. Drax isn't a character I've ever found particularly um, funny. I could have 
probably done with less mantis as well like i know she's only there for like bits and pieces but it's kind of this like they're all providing comedy so i didn't really feel there was like much nuance between them but so they're all in one place now mm. so we can leave them until we get to the end so gamora has gone off with thanos to a planet where the soul stone is hidden mm-hmm. where they encounter fucking red this, skull the red skull what so was this that? was, I was weird so i was like so the uh, red skull is from i was um, trying to remember all the way back to the first avenger yeah. what happens to him so the red skull is from captain america the first avenger and he is a german nazi who is basically trying to battle captain america and but he's the first he's the first experiment isn't he yeah. he was the first person to take the super serum and it just like destroyed him is that not correct no isn't he being he but not the super serum no is it, not what cap has but not like, what cap has he's, but he's yeah one, but he's a one of the, stolen version he's, of uh, he's an earlier yeah. super soldier experiment yeah. that was being um, carried out by um but like by like the dark yeah. Nazi division that stole whatever. Anyway, <laughs> so he's in it. However, he's not played. So he's played in the first Avenger by Hugo Weaving. Yeah. But in Infinity War, it's the same character played by a different actor in like Neighbours style, where they just bring in someone new. And it shouldn't matter because he's got the whole face on and everything else. But you, you Hugo know. Weaving's got such a voice. Yeah. That it's just a bit like. And you look at it and you can't figure it out. And you're like, what? There's something very uncanny value about yeah. what's happening here. But I was trying to remember what happens at the end of the first Avenger. And I was like, does he get shot off into space or some shit? Like, what happened? I, like- can't, I can't remember. So anyway, he's basically his pun. Like, whatever happens to him, he's now being punished. Uh, and he's guarding, like, the soul stone. And there's some vague line where he's like, I'm being punished because I wanted all the stones. But I don't remember him kind of wanting all the stones in the first No, he's just, he just has the... Um... He has the Tesseract, yeah, which, which has got... A stone inside. A stone inside, the blue one. But, so he leads Thanos up and basically is like, Thanos, to get the soul stone, you have to make a sacrifice. You have to sacrifice the thing you love the most. Gamora is basically like, ha ha, you don't love anything. And then she realises that he loves her in, like, a warped way. I wish she'd put two and two together earlier, like everybody that watches the film, probably, yeah. and, try and like, thrown herself off, because then... She tried to kill herself. She did try to kill herself, but it was very late in the game, so basically Thanos kills her and gets the soul stone. This is... And I feel like this is maybe one of my problems with the film, is that I'm so bored of films trying to convince me that the motivations of evil people are interesting. Mm. So I <laughs> liked the Thanos and Gamora stuff. However, and I, bear in mind I haven't seen Gu- Guardians 2, I did think a lot of it should have been in a Guardians film rather than in this film. And if there were things I was going to start kind of cutting, I would cut some of the Gamora-Thanos stuff well, in they- the hopes that it would have gone like a lot more of it would have gone elsewhere they always said this film was like really focused on Thanos which mm. I was always a bit like because oh. I, I do and I'm like I find it kind of tedious because I'm like well no you just you you murder people that's mm. things and this oh um his philanthropic mm. thing like I'm gonna have all this power um how I'm going to use it is like to kill, save the universe to save the universe by killing all these people I'm like you've got infinite power and you don't think you could just like increase the resources available so mm-hmm. that no one has to die like it, but that's what makes him a villain isn't it I know it's but it's just he like he does the wrong thing for the wrong reason yeah and that's fine because yeah. that's what a villain is supposed to be but just like we're spending all the time in a comic book universe and you're just trying to convince me and we're going to spend all these long lingering moments just like thinking about his emotional <laughs> damage and I'm like I just genuinely couldn't give less of a shit <laughs> <laughs> so yeah 
Okay. And then, is it time to, should we talk about Thor? No, let's talk about okay. Thor. Okay, so Thor, like we all know, like me, you know, we've spoken before, me and Chloe met and bonded over our love of Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers will always be my number one, but however, Thor is, making Thor hell of a play. is the most valuable player in this film. Like, I loved all of his stuff. After Ragnarok and now this film, Thor yeah. is genuinely making the play. So my Thor is, he is hilarious in this film, but also like it's tempered by these moments of intense sadness, which I think are done really well. So Thor takes Groot and Rocket Raccoon and they go to a place or rabbit, called... <laughs> or you. Rabbit, as he would say, yeah. Which is hilarious no matter how many times the joke is done. Yeah. I think it's just because of the way Chris Hemsworth kind of plays it. And they go to a place, I believe it's called Nidavellir, mm. which is essentially a, a forge yeah. where dwarves make things. And Surprise they make... Surprise, <laughs> Thor wants to go to Nidavellir because... Obviously, he hasn't got his hammer anymore. His hammer was thought forged at Nidavellir, and he needs a new weapon that can destroy Thanos. And they get to Nidavellir, and they discover that it, it Thanos has already been there, and that it has been destroyed, and the only person left is Peter Dinklage. The star that powers the forge has been damaged, and so Thor basically is told yeah. there is a weapon, there is yeah. a weapon that you can... But, you know, yeah. we can't get the forge to work because we can't heat the metal because we don't have the star. So they try and fix yeah. fix it. They think they fixed it and it doesn't fix. And basically, Peter Dinklage is like, what we need is like a few minutes with the star. And Thor is like, do you know what? I'll hold this. I'll hold this gate open and I will take the power of a star with my body. And, and then we get all these like lingering shots of him screaming. His arms are straining. It is extraordinary. Extraordinary. <laughs> and obviously like he, you know, they managed to heat the metal. They managed to pour it into the mould for this axe. And they manage to forge it and Thor is kind of flung back. You think, well, I didn't think he was dead. Like I knew he wasn't dead, but he's like, he's a bit crispy around the edges. And then Groot does like the most useful thing he does all film. Because they're like, we need to find the handle, which I thought was hilarious. Because I'm like, surely you should have the handle prepared. So Groot basically grows and cuts off his own arm and makes the handle and the you know, like like with Mjolnir, Mjolnir, Mjolnir yeah. um, the axe, which is Stormbreaker, makes its way into Thor's hand. Yeah. Well, you don't actually see that in the film. You see his, um, his sparkle, fingers the, twitching. The, the sparkles in his hand yeah. begin and then the hammer starts to move, the axe starts to move. But we'll leave Thor's storyline there, but he is, um, I think Chris Hemsworth is just brilliant. What I think is, so what I was really, and this is what they did take from Thor Ragnarok, is in that film, Taika Waititi let Chris Hemsworth out of the box and just mm. went, no, be your funny, genuine, like, wonderful self. And, like, I was really concerned that we might go back to an earlier iteration of Thor where he's not quite... Where he's not that funny and he's not that charming. Like, in earlier films, like, he's a good character, but he isn't this character. Because he's really funny, he's got... But he's got all this emotional depth underneath mm. and there are moments where, like, he has a little cry. Uh, Rocket is trying to be, you know, emotionally supportive. And, like, Thor is, like, crying but furious and things. And it's, yeah. and it's great and it's such a good moment and I'm so pleased that they like kept I, I think that's what this kind um, of, like... the Russo brothers who directed the film are good at like they're not so Joss Whedon tended to like just do his version of the characters which is why you get a Captain America that is kind of like really religious and because Joss really... Whedon has no idea what a good man actually looks like yeah and really uppity and kind of the whole language
language comment from Ultron, oh. which, you know, still grates a bit. I love the fact that they revisited the language joke in this film yeah. and landed it. Yeah. Because they do it with the Guardians, right? Yeah. Things. And I was like, oh, look, that was, that you made a yeah. joke about swearing and this time it was yeah. funny. I think that's what the Russos have done well here is that they've kept everybody in character like I didn't really think anyone was out of character and yet they still managed to refer back to previous Mm. stuff and one one way that they that they kept people in character but referred back to previous things which I didn't like so basically the other strand is you have Vision and Scarlet Witch and Scarlet Witch on holiday in Edinburgh get a deep fried kebab that's how much I cared about that thing is there's a kebab shop in the back of shop and there's a poster in the window that tells you we deep fry your deep, deep fry a kebab and I was like oh you could deep fry me a kebab and then I was like oh they're having an emotional moment but I'm just interested in this kebab so they situation. both snuck away on holiday Vision has turned his looks into Paul Bettany <laughs> he's not purple I mean, why wouldn't you if, you if that was available to you as I don't, yeah which is the thing I'm like why why is he not just Paul Bettany all the time like why does he stay purple so they're both like oh you know our relationship is working like let's stay together and then the children of Thanos appear and like beat Vision up and beat Scarlet Witch up and they're you know they're fighting back pretty hard but Vision gets injured and they smash through the roof of Edinburgh Waverley train station and they think they're almost beaten and then so the, it, basically I went on my own I genuinely got I this was the own. moment where I got so then chills you right? see I the children of Thanos yeah. and you see and then you and then there's like a mood change and the, then there's a train there's a train yeah and I love I'm so and I literally so I I sit pretty upright anyway but I kind of took this deep breath in and like my whole body went really tense because and then because you see that you see this shadow through the train windows and then the train goes and, and then and, there's just and a with sl- a shoulder to waist ratio like that there was no one else but also the hair like you see this silhouette and this figure and I just went <gasps> yeah. and just held it for like so long and then and then he moves forward and it is up beautiful bearded Steve Rogers and it's the lovely shot from the uh, trailer where the spear is thrown at him and he's just that gorgeous like duck mm. sideways and catches it it's a very sexual move there's a lot of hip action going on like <laughs> so, all about this so life. he is with Scarlet Witch and Falcon and they manage to yeah. rescue uh, he's with no, so uh, Black Widow. And Vulcan. Sorry, he's with Black Widow and Vulcan, and they rescue Scarlet Witch and Vision, and they take them back to Avengers HQ, where they haven't been since Tony and Steve broke up. And Steve still refers to it as home. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, and Rhodey's there. Rhodey's there. Rhodey. I love Rhodey. Rhodey's having um, a virtual meeting with what's his face the evil general mm. dude who's like who sees Steve and is like arrest him and Rhodey's like yeah and then swishes the screen <laughs> off and then they all hug and it's beautiful and then there's an incredibly awkward moment right so Bruce appears and him and Nat have this moment where they're yeah. like oh Bruce Nat and then you cut to Sam who like <laughs> turns all- and just went this is awkward but it's the way he delivers it because like there's nothing super awkward that's happened and he just is like he's clearly the most awkward out of everyone in the room and I was like oh have you and Natasha been getting on on the reg like while you've been Maybe. on the run <laughs> so that's the moment so I do I not like I like Bruce Banner I you know I like Black Widow I do not like them together I thought that was really out of character really in, a, in Age of in, Ultron yeah. Age of Ultron it's incredibly out of character and then the way it was done was clumsy and clunky and a little bit offensive at times as well massively offensive at times okay I was trying to be nice but yeah downright offensive offensive. and 
so I thought what the Russo brothers did here and and the writers as well was they still acknowledged that plot. yeah they, just they, they acknowledged right that plot point but they acknowledged it in a very like Scarlet Witch banner kind of way I thought like banner Black, was still a bit Black Widow. I keep calling her Scarlet Witch yeah I know <laughs> why are you doing that they acknowledged it in a very Black Widow Bruce Banner way and that Bruce was a little bit sheepish Black Widow was kind of but it, and it's just a moment but I was like okay we've dealt with that yeah, we're done move on let's move on yeah and I thought Sam was funny so then basically there's a discussion about what are they going to do with Vision because he's got a stone he's got a stone in his forehead yeah. and without that stone he will die and there's a theory posited that actually he's a lot of different things like he's part Ultron and he's part you know he's part Tony and he's part Bruce and, and he's Jarvis and he's and he's part Jarvis so if they can remove the stone in a like a decent way then they can get Scarlet Witch to destroy the stone and then Thanos can't get it and he can't complete his gold glove and he can't kill everyone so they fly off to Wakanda the only place like with where this problem can be solved and they go to Wakanda because Shuri is a genius and I own my only wish was I that, love that she schooled him. Yeah, like, so she oh, basically is like, "Why didn't you do this?" And Bruce is like, "We don't think of that." <laughs> and then I thought it was a great moment. My only wish was that she'd been able to school Tony because, she will. yeah, I'm hoping she gets that opportunity. So they go to Wakanda, which is where the final massive, massive battle takes place. And it was at this point in the film that I start like this was like the section of the film, and I was like, "Yes, we're back on solid ground here." Mm. You, like, I was following like. The, and that's the thing about like the cold open of the film, right? I hate it, but it spurs Thor's storyline, which yeah. I actually loved. And I love it because it's Thor and everything else. Do you know what? Like, it's not even the fact they kill Loki. I don't care about that. I, d- I do care about that. I think it's a great plot point, though. It's that you murdered everybody else and Heimdall. And it just was like, oh, how many people does Thor need to lose to be pissed off? Like, not all of them. Yeah. You know, anyway, whatever. It's fine. So then, then you have running in conjunction the massive, massive battle in Wakanda. So the children of, the remaining children of Thanos turn up with like these, I can only describe like Lord of the Rings style, like creatures, like kind of four legged, yeah, sort of human bodies, of, but yeah. wild kind of they're a bit gross looking and you've got you know Wakanda and Baku's there we haven't oh we haven't talked about Bucky well because oh you we do see him slightly earlier but yeah. no we don't this is actually at the point here so when like... they when you basically cut to Wakanda there's a great joke about this isn't you know Okoye's like this isn't what I imagined when we decided we'd open Wakanda yeah. up I imagined we'd maybe get an Olympics and we'd maybe get a Starbucks yeah. um so then they go down before before Steve arrives, they go down to see Bucky, who has got you know a sling over his shoulder and is tossing hay bales. Maybe he's working hard. He's getting a sweat on. He's getting a sweat on. He's like you know he's they've looked after him well. He's trying to pay them back a little bit by doing some manual labor. Also, well, he's like looking for peace in yeah. a bucolic setting, like manual labor that involves giving life, not yeah. death. Um, Very emotional. About and. Uh, Okoye um, and T'Challa head down and they basically are like here's like a super cool new version of your horrible metal arm that hurt you and Bucky's basically like where's the fight and then and then he goes to have a shower because he knows Steve is coming and he cleans himself up <laughs> he cleans real himself good up. <laughs> he like you know puts some cocoa butter on he gets a fresh blowout like his <laughs> yeah. hair is 
like and in then the there's wind. like a little Steve Bucky hug. So what I got from that was that Steve and Bucky have seen each other. They've confirmed that Steve has visited Bucky okay. and Wakanda on several right. occasions. Yeah, so they have seen each other. So there's a little kind of exchange, and Bucky's basically like describes himself as a as a semi stable hundred year old man, <laughs> and he's like, I'm doing really good for the end of the world. So Bucky's there. It's a good hug. And Baku and his his tribe are there mm-hmm. the um, Dora Milaje are there um, so basically there's like a huge a huge 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 fight I would say and they look like they're gonna again what I love about it as an action piece and this was the things in the same Black Panther you get these massive great fabulous action shots mm. and sequences and everything else they're not city based and don't involve mass destruction of buildings and like yeah. death of innocence which is like become such a trope in, in yeah because everyone like, there the last fight is always has to be like in a city and buildings are coming down this that and the other and they can't, like in Black Panther and in this film now I'm like oh you're having your massive big fight on like grassy plains outside of a and city and everyone there is How a warrior sensible yeah everyone there is a warrior there's yeah. no civilians there yeah. so it looks like the fight is you know they might be a bit overwhelmed and then our MVP <laughs> appears out of the sky there is a lightning bolt he zooms down well, and is rainbow bridge rainbow bridge and uses Stormbreaker and like fells hundreds and what, hundreds what's of, gorgeous like, though is he's kind of like it sort of starts crackling and things uh, you see he, he appears there's a beautiful shot of him and Rocket and Groot and they're like yeah and then, and then Bruce who is spent all this time with Thor she's like you're in trouble now so Bruce we should mention can't turn into the Hulk like he the Hulk is refusing to come out for the entire film which I didn't I didn't really enjoy like it was fine but I wasn't really like I again it was like I felt his whole thing after he delivered the message that Thanos was coming and called Steve I felt then after that it was all played for comedy and there's the whole thing where he's in the the suit the Hulk breaker yeah. the Hulk breaker suit Hulk buster and he can't operate it properly and he like trips over a stone and then I th- I would have forgiven it had the CGI not been terrible there was a moment at the end it was literally like he was in a whole other film it was <laughs> so bizarre so he's like yeah right at the end he's you know he's with other Avengers and he's in the Hulkbuster suit and like literally Mark Ruffalo is looking in a different direction, and it's different and size. It's like, and it's, it's different. It's just the colour wash oh. doesn't work. It's all just so. So odd. I'd have, I'd have probably forgiven if if not for that. <laughs> so then the other thing I like about the way that this massive battle scene was done and I feel that Marvel generally is quite good at this is that you have the big fight going on but then you have these lovely little character moments in Mm. them and character interaction so you have like there's a a, not a lull in fighting but there's Steve and Thor take a moment to have a chat comment on each other's hair and beards (laughs) and like that's beautiful that's Um, beautiful Bucky picking up Rocket Rocket and and then and then like Rocket being like I want your gun no I want your arm and it's beautiful and it's just like and it's fun and like those unexpected collisions of characters that provide like funny like and it's actually and you saw it right from Thor meeting the Guardians there's great comedy to be had Mm. in like the unexpected collision of people yeah. from like these kind of various things and um but then I think I have to say one of my favourite moments and there was a time when I was watching Agent Carter that I was basically like I want to pitch like an Agent Carter Maria Hill Black Widow web series there's a moment where Scarlet Witch is watching from the window and it's clear that, that help is needed. She is supposed to stay with Vision and with Shuri so that as soon as the stone comes out of Vision's forehead, she can destroy it. 
but the situation outside is too dire. Okoye is fighting, Black Widow is fighting, and they're both getting quite badly beaten. And she turns up and she helps them. And then and then they kind of carry on, and it's these three women, mm-hmm. like, fighting together and yeah. helping each other out. And there's this line where I think one of the kind of villains is basically like, oh, well, you're alone now. Like, I can destroy you. And I can't remember, I can't remember who it is. Maybe, Natasha. I think, is it is it Natasha? And he's like, mm. she's not alone. And like, I thought that was such a powerful, like, moment. And again, these kind of three unexpected characters coming together. And, you know, once Scarlet Witch kind of does her hand thing, Akoi's basically like, why was she up there? Like, we needed her down here. What the heck were you guys doing? Like, what kind of military strategy is this? that we've trapped, like, one of our most powerful people. I mean, to be fair, it was an entirely logical decision for her to stay and destroy the stone, but, like, it's also a funny line, so I'll forgive it. Yeah, it is a funny line. So we should point out at this point that that Tony and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, Star-Lord, Drax and Mantis and uh, Nebula are still off in space. So they're in Titan. So this runs alongside the battle. So basically they Thanos is coming back to Titan and they have to come up with a plan to try and beat Thanos. Doctor Strange does his I haven't seen Doctor Strange the film, no, but he does either. whatever he does and he sees like 14 million different versions of what's going to come and Tony is like, well, in how many versions did we win? And of course, Doctor Strange says, one. And it's very dramatic. So then Thanos turns up and they basically have come up with a plan of some sort where they fight him. So, you know, Spider-Man is like webbing him and Tony's beating him up and blah, blah, blah. And and they eventually manage to trap Thanos. Mantis gets on his shoulders and like holds his brain the whole thing like it's like this really pissed me off right because they get the gauntlet off almost no they get the gauntlet off i thought they almost got it off it it physically removes from his hand and and it's as peter is falling backwards within his hand and thanos grabs the edge of it like it's like things and the reason they don't is because um thanos pisses star lord -Lord off by saying that he's the Gamora is dead and everything else. I am annoyed that Star Lord let his emotions get the better of him. No, I am that and that and... moment is because actually, like, I understand that you want to beat Thanos in that moment. Yeah. But the way you needed to do that is to follow through on the plan. Because the minute the gauntlet was off his hand, yeah. you yeah. could have you could have beat him. Yeah. To absolutely, you could have done what you like. Once the once the gauntlet was gone, I didn't really understand why they had him. What if they had him like under things? Why didn't they just slit his throat? My thing was like, why didn't you just kill him in that moment? Yeah, I again, and I don't know. And this kind of, it's I don't know if it's like the morality of the Avengers doesn't like you say, but I I would have killed that was him. that's where I, w- um, I was a bit that's that would have been my ethical decision yeah. was like, actually because getting the gauntlet off is all well and good yeah but. But then I wonder, so, and they didn't know this, so this is kind of a thing of, like, almost retconning, but so in the in the final battle back, in, back on Wakanda, Shuri doesn't get the time to get the stone out, so Vision is kind of thrust into the battle, and there comes a point where Wanda does have to basically kill Vision, she has to destroy the stone while Vision is still alive, and she does that, Thor quote unquote kills Thanos and there's this thing where he stabs him through the he stabs him through the chest which would ordinarily kill a person but Thanos is basically like you should have gone for the arm you should have so, no, you gone for the head because the thing is like it didn't kill him fast enough and he was still able to like oh okay that's what I took from it 
I thought he said the arm. I, I thought he said the head. Maybe he did say the head. I thought he said the arm as in if he chopped off the arm, then yeah. he wouldn't have been able to use the gauntlet because it's yeah. on his arm. Um, I don't know. Okay, we'll check that. Okay. I, I heard you should have gone for the head. Yeah, I don't know why they don't kill, why the people that get the opportunity to like properly kill Thanos <laughs> don't kill him because <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems. Yeah. And so Thanos wins. Well, so we should explain. So we should explain how he wins. Yeah. So Scarlet Witch has. They've come to the point where you know they they made the decision not to destroy the stone because it would kill Vision, and they sort of had other options. You know, and so they, being the heroes, they held out on that option for as long as humanly possible, and then it becomes to the point where Thanos is advancing. He's smacking people left, right, and center, and Vision says, "Now's the moment. There mm. isn't any more time." So Scarlet Witch destroys. The stone and with it the person that she loves and that's a really heartbreaking moment yeah like it, i i i liked wanda and vision's storyline throughout this like i thought that wasn't great i don't really love the romances in the mcu i don't think they do them particularly well but actually that moment is very mm. sad and she's holding off it's beautiful thanos done. with one hand and destroying yeah the stone and, it, and it's the very other. beautifully done it looks fabulous so she destroys the stone and you kind of think oh you know they she's made this ultimate sacrifice and he's still, Thanos is still extraordinarily powerful, but maybe they've div- averted the fact that he can just murder half the galaxy with a click of his fingers, and now he's going to have to do it manually like every other <laughs> madman in the history of the universe. But then he utilises the Time Stone. We haven't explained him getting the Time Stone, actually, which all happens on Titan, and it's part of this thing of Star-Lord fucks up their plan, and then... Um, yeah, he just he gets and then the time. Doctor story, Strange like... gives it up in order to save Tony Stark. Yeah. Anyway, so he has the time stone. He turns back time in order to reform the Mind Stone, and you're like, well, okay. So now there are no rules in this universe. Mm. We just we're kind of like that's when he forms the entire gauntlet. He has all six. Thor tries to kill him. Thor tries to kill him. There's a line which we're not <laughs> certain of the uh, yeah. implications of, but essentially it doesn't work. And Thanos clicks his fingers. The whole gauntlet crumples into like this sort of mass of power. And then he opens a portal and disappears. And you don't really know what's happened. And there's a kind of a still moment where it's just like everyone's looking around. It's like, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah. At which point, because Bucky and Steve don't do very much in this film. You don't get an awful lot of the kind of Captain America universe kind of people. And the moments you do get. I mean, to be fair, Steve Rogers has about seven lines in this film total like the, i mean the thing is i feel like the mcu generally has always liked iron man more yeah than like Steve absolutely um, so there's a lot more <laughs> there's a lot more iron man in this film um, but anyway so now we get steve's heartbreaking kind of time yeah so basically what happens is so th- yeah it go it goes quiet and what and i Steve's thought looking around is just like what happened yeah, and i thought this whole section was beautiful whatever else it's kind of whatever other holes you can dig into it that was beautifully done and basically you hear Bucky and he goes and I think he says he Steve's just says Steve, name yeah. he just says Steve and he says Steve and like you kind of turn to him and he but it's basically ashes to ashes like Bucky yeah. he his whole body just turns into ashes and that's it and then and then that starts happening to other people so it happens to T'Challa and there's this moment where and I think Okoye's reaction is great yeah. then because she is just like so grief stricken mm-hmm. but she also she yep. also dies basically sam. everybody yeah sam groot 
And Groot and, and Rocket's watching him while he does it and Groot says, I am Groot, which is all Groot ever says. But it turns out what he's saying in that last moment is he calls Rocket dad. Aww. Isn't that like a little punch um, in the face? So basically, I think I think it's easier for us to say who is still alive. Although I will I wanna go back to Titan because it happens yeah. so basically because it happens around the universe. So um it happens to people on there and oh just I, d- I don't love Tony, but I feel like it is such a heartbreaking scene between him mm-hmm. and Peter Parker. Really well. And it starts happening to Peter and Peter kind of stumbles over and and Tony, you know, holds him in his arms and Peter's basically like, I'm not ready. He just says, I don't want to go. I don't, he doesn't want to die. And it is just heart-wrenching. Like, Tom Holland's performance there. They focus on Tom Holland's face for a while if you're going to do it and I was like, well, that's a bit brutal. Yeah. But my problem, my problem is, is that I think they go too far with the heroes that they kill off. So, but then, so then I just want to mention before we talk about that, Doctor Strange, because it happens to Doctor Strange as well and Tony is basically like, what the heck? And Doctor Strange says to him, it was the only way. Yeah before he disappears so clearly whatever he saw in their kind of triumph eventual triumph involved this like this is part of the plan the destruction i do think they killed off a lot of people basically but they kill off everyone bar the original avengers like and i think the whole point is for the next film to get back to the core avengers iron man black widow hulk thor and steve plus brody and rocket and Rocket. Yeah, Rocket's still alive. We assume Shuri's still alive because we never saw her die. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm assuming that anyone I didn't see die is still... Like, anyone I know... Yeah. I didn't see die is is, is yeah. kind of still alive. So basically, they but they kill off, like, everyone. Yeah, so, my, so I... Right, so I get that they're going back to the original Avengers. And I get that it's kind of interesting and everything else. My thing is now that things are like, no, they're real deaths and don't things. And I'm like, okay, well, they're, they're ve- not. They're very clearly not. And it kind of, to me, I am upset because the people in the film are upset. So, like, oh no, now we have to watch Steve go through yet another, like, loss. Yeah. loss. And, and he doesn't just lose Bucky because he loses Sam as well. Yeah. So, like, Steve's just not allowed to ever have friends. It's fucking awful. But, um, and you sort of Tony, yet another layer for his bloody PTSD. So you're just kind of like, oh, so we're going to damage all of our original heroes yet some more. And I'm very upset because you have to watch that kind of happen. But at the same time, it completely lessened the emotional impact for me of, like, I'm not mourning any of the people who died because I mm. cannot for a second believe that any of them are permanently dead so i find it so interesting so basically i saw it and i was like i was quietly devastated and i knew that they hadn't really died but i thought the way it was done was just so beautifully done and like this kind of silence and the and the kind of you know relatively painless deaths like it's not like they're crumpling up into like Agony and screaming. Agony and screaming. No, um, there's no bodies left behind. But then I anything. spoke to... Uh, so someone I know saw the film, and interestingly, he was like, there were a couple of people in our... A couple of girls in our screening who were clearly there because of Black Panther. Mm. And they were really, really, really annoyed about the death of Black Panther. And so what I want to... And I was like, okay, I get that. But also, he's not... Like, he's not dead. And so this is where I think Infinity War does fail, is that it, because it's not at all, it's not at all a standalone, and it's not at all a film that you would see if you came into the MCU via, like, Ragnarok and 
Black Panther, you'd or, or Spider Man, and you'd only seen a few films. Like this is a this is yeah. a film where you, really you need to have seen. You have to be emotionally invested in the original Avengers. If you're yeah. emotionally interested in any of the people, kind of for Phase Two and everything else, yeah, you're just gonna be left kind of pissed off. Yeah, you're gonna be left kind of pissed off, and you're not. I don't think you're gonna. Because I was basically like, okay, I'm 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 sad, and like Chloe said, I'm I'm mostly sad because of the people left behind to pick up. Yeah. The pieces as it were. But also I can still be sad and know that actually apart from Vision, Loki, and possibly with Gamora, but I still think we haven't seen the last of Gamora, are gonna be back. Like they're gonna mm. they're gonna be fine. So I find that really interesting. But I do yeah, if the if the film fails on something, it fails on the fact that it doesn't work for newer audiences. Yeah, well I mean because that but I'm you know, I'm an original audience mm. member and i the, so the second time i saw it i actually found it a little bit more upsetting because like i took you know i i'd kind of like um intellectually kind of come to that place of like oh actually it's very devastating for steve and everything else and tony and and, mm. and, and everyone to have like what witnessed that but the first time i watched it so like kind of bucky crumpled and i was i, I, I felt was surprised like i had a moment where i was like oh fuck. and then there was like and there were things, and then and then it was Black Panther. At which point, my, I just went, "Oh, so, well, this is stupid now." Mm. And I was like, "Well, this is just like." And, oh, and I thought, from that I thought point, it was weird that they did kill Black Panther. And then from that point on, I just was oh. like, "Oh, well, this is just silly." Yeah. And then and then you saw Peter Parker, and that was very devastating because of just the kind of like of how much they focused on his face, and you're watching a child die essentially, and it's horrible. But even then, I wasn't as emotionally devastated because my brain had already just gone, "Well, this is stupid," and that that's and that was my reaction the first time. I just went, "Oh, well, they've killed too many people now. I can't like I I've, I've crossed." The I didn't think we'd see thing. Black Panther die, but I mean, he's like not he's obviously not dead. Like you know that, so it's it's hard to buy into some those. And this deaths. is and a few like, people like I you know had people who messaged me afterwards just being like, "Oh my god, I'm so devastated," and I was like, "Look." Just hold on to the yeah. fact that there is no way Marvel are killing off no, the leads already, yeah. of their first three franchise, like their newest three franchises, they're, and just... the, and they're like hugely successful. Like I, I mean, Black Panther was yeah. deservedly massively successful. Yeah. Um. But I feel like if you're, I and though going back to those girls that that mm. saw it with my friend, like they don't they don't necessarily know how the MCU works. So and I feel like we do see a lot of like oh danger 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 but then they're actually sort of they're physically fine they're not mentally fine a lot of the time but they're physically fine and so i think there's a kind of a risk of losing the the other thing the the sensible thing to have done would have been to go with the original decision and have this be called avengers infinity war part one yeah and of it and that was what originally years ago they were saying avengers infinity war part one and infinity Uh, war part Part two two. yeah and and now they're like untitled avengers four which i'd i because this doesn't i enjoyed this film but it doesn't work as as a film on its own it needs that part two to like work and i think watching it watching this with whatever comes up with the mm. film that comes after it with with we'll its counterpart yeah. i'm not talking because obviously we've got captain marvel who we'll mention in a second yep. again and ant-man and the wasp to come in between but i think watching it with avengers 4 will maybe make it a slightly different film yeah yeah no i'll be i'm i, I am interested to see how it kind of slots together with the mm. second film but yeah no i agree and then I was, you know, I've seen a few people arguing, they're like, oh, well, a film doesn't have to be, like, sometimes an unsatisfying end and that doesn't give you everything you want is as important as everything else. And I'm like, well, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a disappointing, that's a, des- that's a depressing way to think about films. I'm like, no, if I'm going into this superhero film, yeah. 
I want to be yeah emotionally fulfilled by that not left a bit which like, is why uh, it doesn't because I I hope Avengers 4 will emotionally fulfill us so basically I kind of came to a realization that Steve maybe wasn't going to die because I firmly believe for him to be killed off in the MCU him and Tony need to make up yes. properly and I so Avengers 4 I assume will have them making up and then either one or both of them dying mm-hmm. it depends yeah, you I know, would. it depends I what would. happens. But it seems... Yeah, it seems a sensible decision to, like... A sensible, if heartbreaking decision to kill them both off. And I assume they will sacrifice themselves in a very noble way. So I heard in Infinity War Part 2, as it was, is set five years after this. After Avengers Infinity oh, really? War Part 1. I read it somewhere, and I know a few other people that have read it somewhere as well. Oh. Which is it, like, I... So I don't... Yeah, I... If eerie. that is the case, well, bruh. I don't really know what to say because I wonder so then those five years so obviously next so then there's one post credit scene Mm -hmm. on Avengers Infinity War Part 1 where you see Maria Hill and Nick Fury in a car there's a car crash because obviously people have started disappearing disintegrating they get out of the car they're like what the heck is going on and then Maria starts disintegrating herself Nick Fury pulls out a pager, starts typing. Pager? I I mean. But I think that's for a reason, right? Because he starts pulling out a pager, he starts typing a message, and then he starts disintegrating, and he's like, oh shit. And then he disappears, and the pager drops to the floor. And you see the message sending, 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 and then you see the message come up, and it is Captain Marvel's logo. So I wonder if that's why he's using the pager, because... Captain Marvel still uses pages? I don't know. <laughs> like, how traceable are pages? Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe that's why they I'm use not pages. Sure I don't really see one. Because <laughs> they're more secure than mobile phones. It did perhaps. look like it had, like, bits attached to it. Yeah. So, so we get a Captain Marvel film and we get an Ant Man and the Wasp film. Yeah. And again, like, Captain Marvel we know is set in the early 1990s. Mm. But I assume maybe in the post credit sequence we get something that references. Infinity War. Yeah. And Unless then, the reason he's using the pager with Chunk is that he's sending a message through time. Maybe. And she's got to set something up 20 years earlier in order for it to be like... Yeah. Although I hope that's not the whole Captain Marvel film. I hope she like it's about her and not about yeah. her having to rescue people like, in like the few, 20 years time. Yeah. Um, and then Ant-Man and the Wasp. I don't know. Is that going to be set post-Infinity War? So the other thing is, so we didn't see Ant-Man in this mm. film, and we didn't see Hawkeye, yeah. because Hawkeye, like, has changed his life, and he and St- he and Ant-Man took plea deals, basically, to yeah. get out of that... A floating prison. Well, no, because didn't Steve break them out of the floating prison? I thought he only took Sam, because <coughs> the rest of them all went on the run, because they, well, because they, like, to... He to, took Sam and Scarlet Witch. To be, to be, to have been, I guess he offered them all a choice, like... Mm. Are you coming on the run or no? Yeah, so they decided not to go on the run because they've obviously got kids. And so also I assume because we didn't see them die, they haven't died. I assume they survived the disintegration. I would assume so. So yeah, I don't know about Ant-Man and the Wasp. I don't really know anything about it. I assume it'll be set maybe pre-Infinity War? I don't like films that come out after a major thing and then they're like, well, we're set beforehand. Yeah. So maybe actually it's one of these things where in the aftermath and the devastation mm. like yeah there are heroes that have to pick up pieces yeah and carry on heroing i think we we mentioned you mentioned steve losing bucky again and i wanted to very briefly touch on like the subject of ptsd because i think throughout the 
MCU, we've constantly talked about Tony's PTSD and heard about how mm-hmm. much Tony has suffered and continues to suffer and, and since he flew into space to chuck a nuclear warhead. Since he was tortured by... Well, yeah, since he was tortured that. and then... But then but then they specifically reference him going into space yeah. to throw the warhead. And, and Iron Man 3 is very much... I haven't seen it in years, but it's very much about Tony's PTSD. But we never talk about Steve's PTSD. Well, we talk about it. We talk about it. But, like, the, <laughs> the films don't really acknowledge that this is a man who fought in a world war lost the like sacrificed himself then woke up decades later to find nearly everyone to basically find the woman he loved is now old and has remembers him or doesn't alzheimer's or dementia and then he discovers his best friend who he thought died in like the 1940s has actually been used as uh, a brainwash to be a super assassin. <laughs> then he has to deal with Peggy actually dying. Yeah, he has that, to deal with his a, new chums, half of them turning on him. He has a weird relationship slash not relationship that we've no idea what happened with. Let's not talk about Sharon Carter. <laughs> um, he has to deal with like his kind of peer Iron Man taking an opposing side on an argument to him and all that all those consequences and then he takes responsibility for a group of people some of who like you know scarlet witch who has been through quite a lot been treated badly by friend and foe alike and so he takes on responsibility for them and then he loses bucky again and, but bucky and sam and i think and that's sam, so important yeah. like it's because sam's the first apart aside outside of the engines like sam's his only non-Avenger friend I know he's now an Avenger but he wasn't when they met so I just for fuck's sake <laughs> so uh, yeah I would like to see the MCU going forward acknowledging like how much he has suffered and now Thor as well like going forward because Thor has lost basically a planet of people his best friend his brother well so yeah so in Ragnarok he loses his dad he finds out he has a sister then he has to kill that sister then he reconciles with his brother and then immediately loses his brother and watches his best friend be stabbed in front of him along with half of his people who he's just, uh, he's sworn to protect and just taken over sort of yeah. thing. And I just, oh my God. Yes. I think, I They're think it... all so terribly broken, which is what, which I do enjoy. Yeah. But I would like to see them cry because they quite like it when they're broken and then they cry and then they get a hug. That's really what I want from a film. Is <laughs> like... <laughs> I, when I got to the end, I was like, I would like to wrap Steve Rogers in like 20 really soft blankets and give him the world's biggest mug of hot chocolate and then just tell him to sleep for as long as he likes so that he can recover. Because I think the thing with, with Steve throughout the film is that he he does look like he has soft... like. For the first time, I think he doesn't look as kind of polished and hero-like. And I think it's crucial. Like, so in the Wakanda fight scene, you have a, a moment where Steve and Groot are near each other. And Groot is basically like, I am Groot. And Steve, polite person yeah. that he can be, is basically like, I am Steve Rogers. And he, and he never refers to himself as, like, Captain America. And obviously, he doesn't have the shield. His, his shields are, like... all the insignia off his yeah, uniform. Yeah, yeah. And that oh kind of God. identity <laughs> is, has gone... And he is now nomad. He's I think is in the comics. Is the... In the comics, is nomad, but they haven't mentioned that no. yet here. And he is very much Steve Rogers, a boy from Brooklyn. Yeah, like fighting his way through. Oh, 
I'm gonna cry. So let's move on. Let's move on. We, like, I mean, we've talked. Well, that is like we'll try and cut some of this out, but otherwise, this has been a long ass episode. So thanks um, for sticking with us through that. I I look forward to watching it again. I I won't go to the cinema again because I think the second time I saw it, I was like, I'd like to fast there forward were through this bit. I was like, okay. And so then I'm basically gonna wait for it to be released for at home entertainment, and I can yeah. watch it then, and and you know enjoy the bits I enjoyed and for you know, fast forward through the bits that I didn't. Yeah. So it's all good. Um, what I am going to do is watch Thor Ragnarok a couple of times and reimagine that, like, maybe Thor, Loki and Heimdall are fighting off Thanos in order to allow all the innocent women and men, women and children on that ship to escape. Mm. Because Thor just went through all this one time in order to save them and, like, it turns out to have been pointless. Yeah. That makes me really sad. And the only other person that survived is someone who was an Asgardian, the Hulk. Like, yeah, okay, cool. So, if you have any thoughts on Inf- Infinity War, please do tweet us at Eat Read Stream and let us know. Yeah, so normally at the end of the show, we would do uh 29 seconds of Terror Amazing where we would uh like rhapsodize about something that we think is both terrible and amazing, but separate to Infinity War, we've been on a very different emotional roller coaster over the last few days, like, no, yeah. literally 24 hours, yeah. It, I would say a little bit more than 24 hours. Well, no, because it was only officially announced yesterday, wasn't it? Like, oh, okay. It was in danger for a while. Anyways, what we're discussing is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, the, uh, the phoenix of television shows. We ha- which we have mentioned many a time yeah. on this podcast. And we'll, we'll continue to do so, thankfully. So basically what happened was... Um, I think it was... Was it only announced yesterday or maybe... It was, only, it was announced on Thursday, Thursday the 10th yeah. of yeah. May. That uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine was being cancelled after five seasons uh, and Fox had cut it. And And it's currently in its fifth season because there's no time to like... Mourn or... Write a new ending and wrap things up. Anyway, so the internet went slightly insane. And it was kind of funny because I know lots of people watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but you don't like... No, people don't talk about it constantly. Yeah, I don't like... You see a lot of gifts, you see a lot of references to it. But because it's half hour comedy episodes mm. I guess maybe people don't unpack them like they yeah. do with some of the Game of Thrones kind of things or whatever else I mean the only good thing that came of it can- I put cancellation in quote marks is that it confirmed to me I follow all the right people yeah, on Twitter my because entire my timeline. entire timeline apart from like a few news sites and news yeah. ju- like political journalists it, um, was just people freaking out <laughs> over Brooklyn Nine-Nine being cancelled, including Hamilton creator Lin-Manuel Miranda, who did an all-caps tweet. Guillermo del Toro, who went in hard about how Brooklyn Nine-Nine must and will survive in some <laughs> format. And I was like, hey, I'm sorry. Um, and Mark Hamill, who had a lot of emotional things, because a lot of things that he loved apparently were wiped from the slate, Brooklyn Nine-Nine being among them, and started using the hashtag Everything I love gets cancelled, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, Luke!" Yeah, like... um, so I, I think what we'll do, we'll do an episode in the future, a, a focused, I think, on Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, and the many reasons we love it. But it was clear that, like, that people find it a entertaining, warm show with just characters who are just so well done mm-hmm. and kind of not often seen on television yeah. but who are completely normal and relatable and, yeah, and quite everyday effortlessly diverse and everything else anyway yeah. but so we'd all gone through that so we'd had 24 hours of just being like 
losing our goddamn yeah. mind. Hashtag renew nine nine. Yeah. And then we woke up this morning to the trending topic that wasn't even a hashtag. It was just the words nine 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 nine. <laughs> Because um, NBC rode into the rescue and went, yeah. we'll, th- we'll have that, thank we'll you very that. much. So um, I, saw, uh, I saw something earlier, part of the NBC statement, which was basically like, ever since we basically saw, I, they, maybe the concept was pitched to them originally and they sold it to Fox or like let it go and yeah. Fox bought it. The, this ex- NBC executive was like, we've basically <laughs> regretted it for the last five years and now we're really happy to have it back. Yeah. So... It is wonderful. So what we thought we'd do is we just talk very briefly, instead of 29 Seconds of Terror Amazing, we thought we'd talk very briefly, each of us, about our fav- one of our favourite moments or episodes from the show. Or characters. Or characters. So, Chloe, you can kick off. Okay. I am going to go with Terry Jeffords <laughs> because I just love him. And also his emotions about yoghurt, which are super relatable. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Oh my God. He's got his own yoghurt fridge under his desk. Terry loves yoghurt. Um, and he's just like this. Oh, I just, he's so wonderful. Cause like he's this kind of, he is played by Terry Crews. So he's like this giant black dude. Um, he has got these two little girls who he absolutely adores. And I think one of my actual favourite moments is, I mean, I've got a lot of favourite Terry moments, but there is one moment where um, they're planning like a, a super emergency last minute wedding. And uh, Amy is setting it all up and she turns to Terry and she's like, I've seen your daughter's plaits. You're doing the hair. And he just turns to everyone and he's like, they prefer my hair work to their mother's. And he does this <laughs> kind of face and he's so glowing and joyful about it. And I was like, I just love you. <laughs> I mean, my favourite character who is whoever's on the screen at any particular moment. Yeah. And when, where, like, people do a little bit like, you're very much a Gina Linetti. And I'm like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> on some level, I agree with them. Like, there are also things that I... I yeah. wish that I was more Gina, but I'm not. Oh, I did a quiz um, the other day, to, like a couple of weeks ago, to find out which mix of characters I was. <laughs> I was, and I did get Amy in my mix of characters, and I was like, I am such an Amy. Um, oh, I don't know what to pick. Okay, so oh, there's so much I want to talk about, but no. So I am gonna pick. So most, a lot of TV shows do Christmas episodes and Brooklyn Nine-Nine does not. There is, I'm sure I've seen one episode that's set in the run up to around Christmas. Brooklyn Nine-Nine does Halloween episodes and the Halloween episodes are out and out. I think my favourites of each series. So there's one in every series and in the first one it's basically Jake bets Captain Holt that he can steals watch I think no the watch is the second Halloween episode so basically they both have to to try and steal something and they will get they have heists they have heists and and the prize for the heist is a trophy and the the other the loser will declare you the best detective detective slash genius um and so you know it's just they're just such funny episodes and I it doesn't matter how many times I've seen them I still find them hilarious. Um, so I, I love that they take, you know, their annual episode is yeah. like a Halloween episode, which enables them to do a lot It's more. like what Community did with the, and they'd have every season, they'd have a paintball episode. Yeah. And it's like hanging it on this one hook yeah. that kind of gives you this great thing. I will say my other absolute favourite thing, and I think the moments that are funniest in the show and the moments that give the best humour are the moments where Captain Holt buys into Jake's bullshit. Yes. Like the moments where he like goes for it. And it's when just he's like, like, the full bullpen! 
or is anybody's like from now what is it what is it you will call me no. chocolate thunder or yes. whatever it's like my favorite is. is okay um so the cold opens we're getting a bit on a bit of a thread here but the cold opens are really really good and there's a cold open where amy is late for work and amy is never late for work <laughs> so they're all decide like they're all theorizing why amy is late for work and captain holt is like what are you doing why are you not working and jake explains so he's like I would like to play this. She is in line at the bank and Jake is like, whatever, dude. And then Amy turns up and she's like, I was in line at the bank and Holt just goes, hot damn. Um, <laughs> With like a fist. Yeah, I'm maybe revising my thing. Maybe Holt maybe is, Holt is my favourite. Holt is great. But we should do a whole, we will we'll, do a whole episode very soon on this. But in the meantime, you can watch the first four series on Netflix in their entirety. Yeah. And season five is airing in the UK at the moment if you happen to have catch-up TV or want to set that for series record, which is what I'm currently doing. But yes, it is it's a show of a lot of joy. Oh, if you're actually watching for the first time, this is actually important to note. So a lot of people are concerned about Jake Peralta, who is played by Andy Samberg, who's like a kind of cop trope. And they're like, I don't like that guy. He is a subversion of all the tropes you think you don't like. Every character is a subversion of tropes, I would say. Uh, But I would say he's a particularly problematic one. He's put a lot of people off. So I would say stick with it on him, because I feel like actually Jake has got a lot more to give than you might expect. But also, while you're watching the first season, Charles Boyle is a character who is very problematic. And there are things when you're starting to think, oh, this storyline is, like, it's very misogynist and, like, there's a lot of things in it where you're like, oh, this is really grim. The writers actually realise that and course correct pretty hard and do it very effectively. So um, while there is some uncomfortable stuff to watch there, I would encourage you to kind of, like, push on through that because because I think what they do with afterwards is, um, is very well done and it is the sign of a show that listens to its audiences and tries to understand where they're coming from. And I thought it was... Um, lovely yes it's a great show it's heartwarming and that's all we've got time for um <laughs> we've talked about for like but three after three hours of discussion um but if you have if you want to contact us you can email us on eat read stream repeat at gmail.com or tweet us at eat read stream um yeah and you know please do get in touch because we do love to hear from you guys um or you know roll up to our personal twitter accounts and just like dm us with your emotions that's fine too <laughs> we we are open to any form of communication bye bye nine 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 nine, nine. <laughs>